0: Welcome to Vagabond Actors Podcast. We have a wonderful episode for you. We're going to be doing some text interpretation and we're really excited to dig into this. We talk so much about the language of the theater piece or the screenplay and what an actor needs to do about the challenges posed by the writing. And so today we're going to take a scene and we're going to break it down and we're going to talk about it the way we talk about it with our students and for ourselves, and hopefully shed some light for our listeners on how to read scripts. And before we do that, I'd like to introduce, of course, my partners in crime, Brian Kasp from Prague. Hello, Brian. Hello there. Hello there. How are you?
1: I'm good. Oh, good. I just wanted to mention, just to add on to your introduction, that if you at home want to follow along with the script, that it will be available um, on our various platforms. So you can come and look at it. It's a scene from Proof.
0: Excellent. And joining us out of London is Gary Condes. Hi, Gary.
1: Hello, Andrea. Hello,
2: Brian. How are we all doing?
0: Uh, We're doing great. We're excited about this. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, before we start, we always we always open our episodes with a little catch up on uh, anything uh, creative that we've been experiencing in the last week that we wanted to share with our with our listeners. Anything that you two uh, have on your minds?
2: Oh, I have a lot on my mind. I don't think we've got <laughs> enough time for me to unpack my mind. <laughs> but um, the main things that I've done, and kind of the thing that stands out the most, was I um I did a and A. Q&A. On the weekend, I was invited by a theatre events company who sort of organise events with practitioners, and uh, yeah, I I did a, a Q and A, it, and it's kind of <laughs> uh, it was uh, quite humbling in one sense because this company organises these Q and As, uh, and before a few days before me was uh, Mike Lee, the famous British Mm. film director. I love his work. And following a few days after me, or the the next one after me, was the writer-director Bruce Robinson, who did With Nail and I and How to Get Ahead in Advertising. So, you know, and then in the middle, me so uh, perfect
1: company though
2: yeah oh, it's a perfect oh perfect wow
1: fit. It's, very it's a Gary good.
2: sandwich <laughs> a Gary sandwich I like the idea of that yeah um, um right snug in the middle um, yeah. so yeah I did this Q&A and it was great you know there's a lot of things that came up some of the things that we discussed I drew drew on so that was great um but yeah I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and managed to sort of bringing some stories from my past and talked about directing theater work and, uh, as well as the sort of coaching and the acting stuff. So wow. yeah, that was what I've been up to, uh, Q and A.
0: Excellent. What about you, Brian?
1: I spent the morning coaching on a Czech film where the director was technically, I think, quite knowledgeable and he's very passionate about the subject matter but hasn't really had a lot of experience talking to actors about how to be free in their experience of the moment and i think they kind of mm-hmm. the the film is supposed to start shooting in february and we're here in uh, late june and they're they've been rehearsing i think for months already this film mm. and and i was kind of like let's um let's loosen it up a little bit. And uh, and it was very interesting and, and fun to work with these Czech actors who are mostly used to working in theater, I think, and to talk to them about how to allow the script to kind of unfold on, unto itself and mm. to not try to impose their ideas of what should be happening onto it, because that it's yeah. very the pull of imposing those ideas is very strong,
0: mm-hmm.
1: given that the that the director is quite intellectual about what should be happening. But they were very responsive to it, and I think that what we did was it got to some really interesting places, and I hope that they can continue to to explore in in that direction where they're they're a little bit more free defined the moments. Oh. How about you, Andrea? <laughs> How are you?
0: I'm fine. Uh, I've been doing some work here preparing f- to launch some classes in Spain this fall, and I'm excited about that. So as time goes on, we'll, we'll share some more information. But um, here is Mallorca, Spain, and I've got a really terrific partner in in some things and we're also having some conversations about some filmmaking initiatives here so as as they become more concrete i'll be excited to share share updates
1: that's great yeah cool yeah good stuff thank you let's get into it baby
0: let's get into it man okay so here (laughs) we go
1: This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner, and if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner, and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, your audition, and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member, you can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners. When you sign up with the promo code vagabondiction.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put Vagabond25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show.
0: We are going to be taking a look at a scene from the play called Proof by David Auburn. This was a Pulitzer Prize winner in 2001. It won the Tony Award for Best Play. Obviously very strong writing. It's a four-character piece. Drama students tend to enjoy working on scenes from this because there's, there's so much to do. And we're going to be taking a look at the second half of scene four. So this is in act one. And we have the characters of Catherine and Claire, and as we go through this, the three of us will be talking about how we would be coaching our actors on interpreting the material, what they're going to be doing with with the lines, with the stage directions, the kind of things that we like our actors to to, to look at. So we've not planned anything and it's going to be free-flowing as usual. But I thought we may start with just giving an overview if there are some key points that we each have that we like to share with our students before we dive in, or if there's any terminology that you may have um, that you'd like to refer to as we move through it that you want to be clear about now, uh, maybe you could do that. Does that make sense? You want me to start?
2: Makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: You know, when we're looking at a at a whole play, we're lo- we're looking for a number of things. We're looking for the theme obviously, and we're looking for what I call the, you know, the spine of the characters and the arc of the characters, the spine being really that that most intense personal drive that motivates them through the play, which can change. The spine can be broken or a perspective can be changed. But throughout there are some questions that I think Actors should always be asking themselves as they're reading the scripts. And the first one really is, what am I doing? We've we've talked a lot about this in our episodes because we're all big believers in in the importance of specificity and action. So, um, you know, what are the human activities in a scene or in a moment that you need to do. So if the line is, for example, you know, that was the greatest kiss. Well, what's your human activity that you have to undertake? You have to undertake the kiss, right? In in a very simple way. So what are the human activities that are suggested by the script? And then why am I doing it? You know, why is your character doing this thing? Uh, Why? There's always a reason why things happen. There's always a reason why the character does something. And so what's the thing that's motivating you to do this thing? And then of course, how am I doing it? Right. Um, and this could be similar to your own personal behavior, or it could be unique to the character. You're going to have to make a determination about that. You're going to distinguish something, but these are the clues that you give to the kind of character that you are and then you can look for ways to get deeper into that you know whether you're going to put action to to the text or if you're going to approach things with a certain rehearsal technique to dig into it and make it you know specific and real for yourself but those those are some of the key things that I think we always want to be looking at and for me as we move through it I think It'll be fun to to see what we notice about the writing. And and as Brian said, we will be posting uh, a link to the copy of the scene. So please follow along, as they say. And uh, we look very forward to engaging in an active conversation with our listeners about this.
2: I get a feeling that we are probably going to cover... All three of us, the same kind of stuff, but in different ways and terminology and slightly different angles, which is great. It reminds me of this uh, old comedy sketch where the famous British comedian, Malcolm and Wise, he's playing a, a piece of music completely out of tune. And that's really hard to do, actually, if you can play a piece of music on the piano out of tune, <laughs> well out of tune. Yes. Like, and someone says, what are you doing? He says, you're not playing this piece of music. And he says, I am playing this piece of music. I'm playing all the right notes, but not necessarily in the right order. And Ooh. it's a, it's an old classic sketch. And I think I get a feeling that we are already going to cover, because we're on the same page a lot of the time anyway, but we're going to cover the same notes, but not necessarily in the same order. Um So for me, yeah, making sense of the material requires you to break down a scene into what I term as actables. Um, If it's not actable, it's not of any use. And that's what I particularly start to look at. And I'm very much echoing already what Andrea has hit upon. I'm very much into starting... As a starting point, looking at the action. I mean, Elia Kazan, we've mentioned him before in other podcasts, and you know, he's someone who I admire very much, and also his way of looking at acting and as a director, um, you know, he said, I will say nothing to an actor that cannot be translated into action. And for me, that's where I start and where I believe everyone should start and because for me the core language of drama and comedy is action and therefore acting the core language of acting should be action and if you look in the dictionary to echo andre again and i'm sure brian is going to slip this in also in his own uh way it, oh it's so much pressure uh, you know because if you look in the dictionary right and i'm sure we've mentioned this before so to act means to do so you gotta look at what you're doing and you know the word drama it has its Greek origins in the phrase to do. So for me, it's all about starting with action, and that starts with understanding the scene on a dramatic level, which means you've got to start with looking at understanding what the character's objective is and then embodying that. And this keeps us in the concretely doable. So that's what I'll kick off with um, and I'll let Brian have a have a say, and then maybe we'll get into the nitty-gritty.
1: Hmm. I think... As an introduction, what I generally tell students who are starting to look at scripts with me is that there's such a pull of saying the words, which I think you guys are getting at with the focus on action, that people want to say these words to each other so badly and to do the scene, quote unquote, so badly that it almost feels like the connection that you would have with the other actor gets lost because you're trying to say these words to the to the other actor. And so, and I know this isn't quite in text analysis, but it is one of the first things that I talk about when I talk about almost the danger of putting a script in front of someone is that you automatically, you lose contact with what is happening because you're so enamored with saying the words. So when we start to work and you start saying the words it's good to remember that that it's really great to only say the words when you're motivated to say them and when th- you're connected with your partner so that you're not ever saying these words for the word's sake because that's no good to anyone. In terms of analysis, I think, you know, you guys were hitting on it already, which is that there are certain questions that you can ask about any particular scene which help to start to define the circumstances in which the scene is taking place. And so those could be something like, where are we? What time of day is it? What time of year is it? Maybe even where in the, in the piece is it happening? Because that could have some bearing on what the stakes are, or are things being introduced, or are they coming to a climax or something like that? Who else is in the scene with me? Uh, what's my relationship with them or what if what what are the characters relationship to each other you know those those kind of questions will help to start to define in terms of like creating a foundation where you can then plug in the actions that would be appropriate with that circumstance so that's kind of just a very broad overview of of what i would kind of start with so
0: <laughs> all right excellent well let's 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 dig into this let's say let's just acknowledge there are two possible circumstances. You're an actor and you're, you're looking at this script. One is you're actually working on the play, in which case you have access to the full script. And the second is you've been handed this in a scene class and you've never read, you've never read the play before and you're, you're asked to just give it a go. So you don't have the opportunity to read the whole piece before jumping into scene four. And we find this certainly, don't we, a great deal in filmmaking and, and auditioning. We were just given yeah. the scene and we don't have access to the entire script. And so everything that's in front of us is a clue. And our process is to constantly be investigating. So right now, looking at pages 34 and 35 of the script with, you know, the bot- all of 34 and most of 35 slashed out, a lot of actors mean, oh, okay, I don't start until where it says open or start or begin at the very last line of page 35. Yeah, But the fact of the matter is, yeah, they they go, oh, okay, Catherine, good morning. And the fact of the matter is that there's a huge amount of information throughout the script that that gives you a sense of tone and time and place and what's just happened before the pre-circumstances. So, of course... We encourage an actor to t- take a look at everything you've been given to inform you about what to bring to the scene. So, we know from the start of the scene that Catherine's alone on the porch in a robe. Hal enters half dressed. There's an awkwardness in the scene, a little flirtation still. It's the morning after, and there's an- another kiss, and, and she makes a decision. And to me, this is a key jumping off point into the rest of the scene. So she decides to give Hal a key. And this to me is a, oh, sorry, that's my dog again. This to me is a big moment of trust. So uh, maybe while I'm dealing with the dog, one of you can just quickly give it a summary of the circumstances of the play leading up till now so we can can jump into it and refer to that.
2: Okay. The useful information that leads into the scene between Catherine and Claire, the two sisters, is that after there's been a recent funeral of their father that had a massive impact on both of their lives, and particularly Catherine's, because he was a, a maths genius that she's been looking after because he was very vulnerable and unstable. So her life, pretty much, Catherine's life, up until this point, has been as a caretaker. She has sacrificed her own academic life in order to look after her father. So her life has been looking after her her genius father, which means that all the rest of the things that a young woman does in her life, um, she hasn't. And she has met this guy called Hal, and they just preceding this scene, it suggests that they have got together. So the clues there that you can get from that is that she's feeling good. And if you read the stage directions, and I would suggest everyone does, and then can choose and pick and choose what to use from those stage directions, stay away from adjectival All descriptions like, I look at her longingly, because you don't necessarily know you're going to do it like that. But there is some good information to suggest how you might be preparing emotionally, which we have covered in a previous podcast, emotional preparation. And it says, Catherine shrugs, Hal laughs. He kisses her quickly and goes inside. Catherine smiles to herself. She's happy and on the edge of being giddy. So, Bearing in mind how her life has been up until this point, you get a feeling that she's feeling very good on cloud nine. Maybe this is the first time she has felt this way about a man uh, and romantically inclined. You don't know for sure, but it seems to suggest that she hasn't really had any successful relationships in the past. So,
1: Can I just interject there for a second, Gary? Yeah. On a very technical way. What I would recommend, and I don't know if this is what you guys do. But when you have an inkling, like you said, Gary, that you don't know if it's the first time she's been like this, but it could be because it kind of feels like it might be. I'm a huge believer in taking notes with all of those questions and all of those half thoughts and those kind of like inklings right on the page so that yes. the page becomes full of your notes. And you might, if it's, if it's, if you're actually doing the play and you might actually have the script on one side of a notebook, like paste it in, like cut out the script pages, paste it in, and then mm-hmm. have a blank page on the other side of the notebook so that you can really take a lot of notes so that yeah. every time you read through the script, you're going to look at those notes. And, and those possibilities as you get more and more familiar with the script will be winnowed down or be expanded upon so that you don't lose any of those thoughts because lots of things are going to come up really don't be afraid of taking notes on the actual script okay so continue gary sorry good point
2: and 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 just picking up on that uh issue of let's say you're not doing the role and this is for a casting and you don't know what has happened before, and you haven't got the information. And let's say the play isn't published, or let's say you can't get a hold of it, and you just don't know. Then I would suggest going for the strongest possible option, which is this is the love of her life, or this is someone who she is head over heels with at this moment in time, and or
1: it is the first
2: time, or it is the it's first
1: her first, time. it's her first love.
2: Yeah. So yeah. So if you if in doubt, always go for the biggest, and uh, and then yeah. you can always work back from that. In the casting, and that that requires a bold choice. So, yeah, those are the sort of circumstances that, for Catherine, that precede this scene, and and it has a strong influence on where she's coming from and how she's coming in to the scene, and therefore dealing with her sister. I mean, the first step I would take, following on from what I was saying about discovering or identifying the objective, I mean, there's various ways to do that, and sometimes it's explicit. And sometimes it's implicit. And when it's explicit, once you've read the scene, you can really just look at a key line. And in this scene, Claire says, I'd like you to move to New York. So it's quite clear what Claire wants. And depending on your view of how an objective actually works and its utility depends on how you phrase it and all the rest of it. But in terms of the fictional sense of a simple Uh, real-world want, I'd say you don't need to look any further than what Claire says. Of course, you need to find out what she says and read it, but you Mm -hmm. can do that anyway. And she said, I'd like you to move to New York. So for me, Claire's want from Catherine is she wants her to move to New York with her. However when it's not explicit, and it isn't in Catherine's sense, I don't think, um, or it's not explicit in the sense that she actually says what she wants in the scene, then what you've got to do is go bit by bit through the scene and look at what they are doing and how they're behaving. And then from that, you should be able to boil it down or add it all up to what they want. So, for instance, Catherine, you could say or you could see it that what she's doing is She's happily going about her business, making breakfast, perhaps. And if you look at the dialogue, Claire is driving it. So there's minimum engagement. Also, a little thing she does is she offers her coffee twice, even though she's hung over. So for me, that's a sense of, come on, drink up and go. And then she doesn't get too excited or pursue Claire's offer of moving to New York, In fact, she politely declines. So if you take those three things that Catherine does, you might be able to argue that what Catherine wants, perhaps, is for her sister, Claire, to leave without there being any fuss or to leave her in peace. So that's just maybe an insight into a very simple way of how you can simply look at what someone wants in a scene. Sometimes it's implicit, so you just have to discover a key line that gets to that. Or you look at what someone does actively, what they're saying, but also how they're behaving and what they're doing, and that might be able to give you clues as an overall sense of what they want from the other character. Yeah,
0: excellent. I I also... uh... Really like what Brian suggested, and we do this. Um, I know at Playhouse West when we when we really dig into text work, that we encourage them to you know make a copy of a page at a time and set it up in the notebook the way he describes, it, so that they can really put down every thought, every question that that comes to mind, and be as clear in the reading down to the punctuation as possible. I find this is very helpful. I wanted to just, if you don't mind, since really. I think we all believe that the the text is it's a blueprint of moments isn't it moments that take you through these sections of of behavior and and doings and human activities maybe we can just break it down a little bit because I think there are some some points that are important to make to actors some things that maybe get overlooked that they're so fundamental that actors overlook them and there's a little warning about that I, I think that we have. Um, so as you say, you know, Catherine's in this, it's, it's written here, right? She's in this giddy state. She's let her guard down with Hal. She's given him a key to go through the father's things. This is a big act of trust from her. So she's, she's in a much more vulnerable state, happy vulnerable, like willingly vulnerable and open than we've seen her. Up until this point when when mm-hmm. Claire enters. And Claire enters, hungover. She sits down squinting. So obviously, this is a very specific human activity that Claire has, and the actress has to do something about this. How do you go about coming in hungover? And what is the work that you need to do to come up with this, we could say, impediment to your normal behavior? Um, how can you do that creatively and, and truthfully? And, of course, it's from the first moment. So this is something that the actress playing Claire has to do something about. And this first section, you know, please don't yell, right? Which tells you that the moment before, when she says good morning, you have to have a response to that, right? And you have to be yelling. Right? Or at
2: least loudly so someone goes I'll stop
0: yeah and and also she hears everything because she's obviously her head is exploding with the hangover and she hears everything that's being said as oh as as a yelling i mean she's so hypersensitive to it right so she's got a the actress has to do something about the moment with good morning that prompts her to say please don't yell please are you all right no beat oh i kind of hate when they write beat She clutches her head, those fucking physicists, right? So again, there are these moments that we see. And and I think the less experienced actors tend to act on the line. They tend to say, oh, I've got to clutch my head now in this moment. Well, keep in mind that these stage directions, sometimes they've come from the playwright. And sometimes they've been, there are notes that have been made during productions. And it's a, it's a clue to you, but you can't just start acting the, the headache uh, in that moment. This has to be something that you've brought in with you, that hypersensitivity to sound and to light and the way you move your body, everything. Oh, the sitting down, the coming in. Uh, it's got to be in, in you from the first moment.
1: Right. And Gary right. said already which just goes along with that is that reading the stage directions yes can help you to have a fuller picture of what might be happening in the internal life. Maybe it's because it explicitly says she's happy or she's giddy or she's hungover Mm -hmm. or whatever. And maybe it's the external behavior that is described in stage directions, like she's squinting or she holds her head or whatever. Mm -hmm. But those are only little signposts to say this is the broad strokes of what's happening with this character. And then, as the actor, I would say you should extrapolate out from that. Those should form a dot matrix of your internal preparation or mm-hmm. your internal doings. And then ultimately you should forget that those stage directions are there. And then based on the internal map that you have, then do whatever that tells you to do in the moment, unless you're working with a director that specifically says you need to do this moment here. Mm-hmm. And then of course you need to do that moment mm-hmm. and justify it. Right. But really it's to take, to extrapolate out from the stage directions and to internalize that and then do what the internalization makes you do, rather than just blindly following what the stage directions tell you you should be doing. Right. It's a guide. Like I like the word extrapolate out.
2: It's license. It's a suggestion of what needs. It's just a reminder of what needs to happen. But how it happens is where your creative juice is and your choices and you know the how yeah. and how you maybe you don't clutch your head but you just hold your hands above your head as if you're you're absolutely yeah. right so you're not you're not doing it by numbers but you are playing that note exactly, your, exactly. you're creating that note yeah. for yourself yeah. Yeah, yeah that's
1: great whether it's coming from a stage manager who took notes about the original production or whether it's the actual playwright obviously the, the playwrights notes tend to be more to the point you're saying don't ignore it don't, don't ignore, ignore
0: it. it it's there for a reason and that's that's one of the yeah. most important points i really want to make uh with this is everything is there for a reason you know even a couple of lines later when claire says you know my stupid friends left right i'm left alone with these lunatics dot 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 and ellipsis always has a meaning Sometimes it means the character is getting cut off at that point by the, by the next uh, line of dialogue. Sometimes it means something's hanging in the air, but it always has a meaning. I would suggest that in this case, the choice of Claire to call the physicists lunatics, given Catherine's concerns about mental illness in the family and possibly in, that she's experiencing herself, that, that could be an interesting little moment of hanging in the air. And Catherine probably has a point of view about the choice of that word.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, right? but what you mentioned there is point of view. You see, I've seen it played like that, but I've also seen it played as have another tequila. The idea of tequila has reminded of her of her drunkenness of last night and she's about to vomit. So that stopped her from saying the line. But what's important is, is it's a point of view of it.
0: Yes, and, and they have another tequila, you know, a couple lines later. That's, again, you know, it's a human activity. She's got to do something about that, right? The actress has to do, this is an imitation, a, a, quote, a quote, an imitation of the physicists, you know, buttering her up. She, yeah. She's got to make clear the kind of energy in the room. We didn't get to see that scene. Um, how does she feel about them? How did, How is she imitating them with what kind of fun or playfulness or regret, does she come up with that? And be specific. That's a that's a fun, creative moment for the actor, you know?
2: It's a point of view, isn't it, what we've been talking exactly.
0: about? Exactly. And again, point of view, that band, capitalized, that band. You know, you as the actor, you have to know what that is. You have to know what that band is. You have to know what the, how the music was, how awful or good it was. Okay, well, right? Let's play again,
2: right? You yeah. come up with a point of view of the band, yeah. Andre? Come up with a point of view of the band, Brian, and I'll come up with a point of view.
0: Okay, okay.
2: All right. Mm-hmm. So rather than saying the line, just let's just, just let's just say what the point of view is. What's your point of view of the band, Andre?
0: Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think they were outrageously bad. Um, They want it. They, they like want to be grungy garage band guys, you know, singing sort of Pearl Jam. And they're really quite, quite horrible. And, And they should be, they should be performing something entirely different. They, they, they're completely under-rehearsed as well. Like their taste in music is awful. They've, they've totally miscast themselves. And they're, they're technical players at their at their instruments, but they have no soul or spirit or feeling whatsoever. And of course, they're completely unrehearsed because they're physicists and they're workaholics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, they're just bad. I mean, they're just bad. <laughs> they're just like awful. I mean, they're trying maybe hard. I don't know, but it's just, like, ear-splitting. Right, great, right. Great. Yeah, and, and mine
2: is they were so up their own fucking asses. They were so <laughs> navel-gazers. They thought they were some great indie band and they were kind of embarrassing because it was, a, it was, it was just embarrassing. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> yeah.
0: And that is something to act right with with each of our points of view. We know, we know the memory of that band rocking in our ears, uh, gives us a, a truthful, real moment to experience for ourselves.
1: I just want to point out, and this is, quite a bit more technical, but along the lines of the ellipsis, which is mm-hmm. the three dots. Mm-hmm. And I've always heard it said, although I'm sure this is up for interpretation, that usually when you have an ellipsis like that, that is the thought of what you were saying, the thought continues, but the the talking has stopped. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes you will have an ellipsis where you're, the thought continues and then you'll start saying something else or mm-hmm. someone else will start saying something, something else. Yeah. So So it's not just a pause and a dash is much more of a cut Mm -hmm. thought that, that one thought is cut off with another thought. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. So in the, my stupid friends left dashed, it was only 11 o'clock dash. They all had to get home. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so in that sense, the, it was only 11 o'clock is kind of cutting into my stupid friends left Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that it's not like my stupid friends left and the thought continues and then and then it was only 11 o'clock, but the 11 o'clock is kind of interrupting that my stupid friends left and then gets interrupted by it. they all had to get home. Mm-hmm. So what are we talking about there? Rhythm thoughts, the way the thought changes? It is using the clues within the actual printed text as a way to soak up where these changes are coming from, mm-hmm. the, 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 the quality of those changes. Mm. Well, keep in mind also,
0: sorry, keep in mind also, Claire is living in New York, right? She's back with friends from childhood and she's living the high life in New York City. So for her, 11 o'clock is when you go out to dinner, dinner. right? So there's a, there's a bit of a judgment about, oh my God, it was only 11 o'clock.
1: Right. They left. Right. Right. which is definitely an interpretation. Whimps. I'm just talking about the pure topography of it. Yes, yes, yeah. totally. Where, where it shows you that that thought is cutting into the other, yes. the other thought. Totally, with the, type, with the topography. Totally. With I'm just writer. saying that
0: there's a, there's an opinion right there. Yes, of course. Right.
1: There should be an. Yes, exactly. Of course, of course.
2: Yeah. But you you bring you bring up something, Brian, because a writer of this caliber, mm-hmm. it's worth taking note of these yes. minutely because. They're not doing it for no reason. They're right, right, right caliber. And it also is something I'm glad that you've brought it up, because it's something that I, I, I get on board with and it's it's something that is often missed amongst all of this freedom and truth. And I'm just gonna improvise my way through this <laughs> and give you my truth when actually there is a a form, there is a musical notation mm-hmm. here which
1: if paid attention to yes. will do the work for you. Mm-hmm. That's right. And but that's also part of that extrapolation. So if you, if you can recognize, Oh, that's what's happening. Then you can extrapolate into that, like that, tells you like, that's the next step, which, which is what Andrea said, which is, oh, she's from New York. Th- it's a ridiculous thing. There's a certain pace maybe to the way that someone from New York talks, which might be different from what happens in, you know, the Midwest, let's say. And so you can extrapolate out from that. And then once you have that as a kind of map Then I think that's the time to let go of the need to kind of go, oh, there's a dash there. There's another dash here and there's an ellipsis here. And I need to make this as a question that all, all that stuff should be part of your map already. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't, and then you should be free. When you're doing it, you shouldn't be thinking about, oh, that's a dash and I need to make that happen. Of course not. But there's a difference. Yeah. is a difference between ignoring it completely and just going, <laughs> of course. Yeah, free. yeah you can't yeah. ignore it completely. That would not be, yeah. that yeah. would be uh, not a great way to go about analyzing a text. No, and yeah.
2: it's the, in the detail. There's a nuance there. And even if you do, yeah. see, even if you just do it technically and dry, which we don't want, but mm-hmm. even if you just,
1: that, then at least you're giving something
2: as well. Yeah.
1: Right. So good. There is a concept, and I know that this was a part of the, the Playhouse West philosophy of how to analyze a script. I don't know if you've experienced it, Gary, but there was, there's a real qualitative difference in doing this kind of minute work where you're reading out from the script instead of putting stuff into the script. Mm -hmm. And I, and it's a little bit of a difficult concept. Maybe Andrea, you can help me to kind of define it. But to me it feels like as soon as you start at this stage of the minute kind of going line by line, trying to find the doings, trying to find what the meaning is of each thing, maybe what it is in response to the instant you start to go, well, it's because she's feeling this way or she's feeling that way or whatever, that's putting into the script an assumption about where that's coming from that might be true, but it also might not be true. And instead of saying, oh, this way of this line being formulated as a question or as a statement or that it's short or that it's long or that it's got an ellipsis at the end of it, it's almost like you're putting to, you're, you're creating, you're constructing a case mm-hmm. for why someone, someone is in a certain state as opposed to going, well, maybe she's just upset because her dad died.
0: You know, yeah. you, this to me, you're right, Brian, this is a really important point that we introduce right away when we start to get into the script work uh, at, at this level. And um, I think, gary you're you're saying a, a version of of the same thing, and it is not it is not the actor's place to bring his or her own autobiography into an interpretation at this point. Your detective work as the actor is to really, really read everything that everything that you have been given by the playwright and it's one of the reasons that working on plays is, in my opinion, more beneficial to actor training than working solely on screenplays. Because Absolutely. screen, right, film is so, so visual. The storytelling takes place in so many ways. But with theater, it, it is all here in the dialogue and in these stage directions. And it really is a much more moment-to-moment exploration. So our job is to see what's on the page And, and pull out from that, not go, well, I think it could be this because I felt this way one time. And I think it's probably more like that. No, 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 no. Take a look at all these clues. Make the notes, as Brian has said, make the notes, say, say to yourself, huh? No, I wonder what, what this, what this tells me. What kind of information is this? Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Why don't I leave this as an open question? Because it might be yeah. answered for me later on in the script, or it may be answered for me in a rehearsal. But, you know, let, let those be open questions, but don't make solid determinations based on your own personal experiences about what something needs to be, because there's so much more to be uncovered. And that's our job.
2: No, I totally agree. And, and what, What? I mean, the way I term that, it, they, that work is the what, because yes. it's, a, it's like, what am I dealing with? Yes. Not how. Yeah. How is interpretive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the what. And, right. you know, I very much, um, and you know you know what <laughs> what what can happen is you take care of the what and you know you, you, you say okay let's say you, you you deal in your your process you could say well you that's 50 50 there's the what and the how but if you take care of the what diligently mm-hmm. you might find that it's not 50 50 you take mm-hmm. so you take what and you kind of go well you know what i've got 60 70 percent of the work done here yes if i yeah. connect with it and then the how's just a matter of maybe with the connection that's going on but then maybe some some choices that i've got to make from other information that i, I, I want to want to achieve and and yeah absolutely and yeah. what you're describing there, from my point of view is is the what and yeah. there's an it's it's finding out what is actually given right and yeah and, and, and embodying that. That's and then, right. the, then layering on top of that.
0: Yeah. So can we take a look? So we're, we're on the script. We're, we're really kind of coming to the end of this first section of the scene, in my opinion. And Claire turns her attention away from her own hangover state and reminiscing about the evening. And she says, your dress turned out all right. And Catherine says, I love it. Now, this to me is one of those moments. This is a little out of character for her. Her openness, her gratitude, her excitement about having worn a dress. This is not her thing. And so these. The playwrights often give us something that's a little bit out of character and I, and these can be real keys for us to understanding something. So mm-hmm. don't take for granted this scene. This is a, this is an unusual little thing. And Claire notices it a couple lines later. It says, Claire surprised. You're welcome. Right? So what other, what other characters say about your character is a clue and things that you do that are out of your normal behavior are clues. So even yeah. though it's five little lines here and it's just this sweet little moment, it's an important transition for us. It's showing the level of relaxation that Catherine is finding this morning with Claire coming off of the evening with Hal, recognizing and being grateful for something Claire has done for her, right? Right. And so there's a there's a further letting down of the guard, and it also gives Claire the feeling that she can move into the next section of the conversation, hmm. right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, a beat or a moment or a movement, yeah. whatever you want to call it. And and there is you know there is danger of interpreting, but you're right. And we've already covered it. Yeah. it's bleeding in from how she's feeling because of how right. Whether she's feeling that way about Catherine or not is debatable. Yeah. Um, about Claire or not, sorry, whether Catherine is feeling that way about Claire or not is another matter, but certainly the fact that she's, as we've already pinpointed because it's quite clear in the script that, that Catherine is feeling giddy and mm-hmm. happy, that it makes sense. But it is unusual right. for Claire to hear this. So right. that also gives you a little clue about their relationship
0: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. because Claire is surprised that she loves it. So then what does she normally expect her to say or do or be Mm. with this present, with a present, with a gift?
1: This section also goes to, even though they are talking to each other, it also goes to the argument that Catherine, because she's in this state, isn't really listening to Claire uh, in a way that you kind of mentioned earlier, Gary, which maybe do you start to get a feeling for what her objective might be in the scene? Right. Uh, because th- this is such an out of character uh, moment for her in the, in the terms of the play. Right. That you can kind of go, oh, there's a clue here. And that's mm-hmm. really anchoring that, that choice of like, okay, what is the objective within the text? And you can make an argument with, from within the text. Right. Not based on, oh, but I just feel it like that. But you can actually point to something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, this is why. Yeah. This is what she wants. Yeah. Right. It's it's
2: it's what Stanislavski would call reasonable conjecture. Yes. You yeah. could it's grounded in something. And you see, it could even be a brush-off. You'd be you'd be justified in saying, I love it, Claire. Thanks. Stop asking me any more questions. Would you like your coffee? Goodbye. Leave me to my new life. This is the first day of the rest of my life with Al. Now, that is interpretive, but it's what I'm saying is, is yes, that can come later, but what Andre is also saying is you've got to recognize that this is significant mm-hmm. however you interpret it is 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 up to you but right, right. It, it is significant and you're right and that's what you're saying it's significant and not to be breezed over mm-hmm. and then whatever, yeah. whatever your understanding of it is you can then you know is it a brush off or is it an actual engagement with claire for, for a moment right so right. yeah and right. and i like that it's in the text yes. so therefore it's not some fantastical um, imposition
1: yeah
0: exactly that you do. exactly so important
1: And so ends our first discussion on the fourth scene of the play, Proof. We will be back in the next two episodes, actually, to finish up the discussion on how we break down a scene, how we define the moments, how we use that definition to interpret what's happening and to define the the doings and the objectives of the characters. There's a lot more discussion to come. We would love to hear how you break down a scene, what your take is on uh, doing text analysis so get in touch at vagabond actors on twitter instagram and facebook and if you want to look at the scene if you haven't had a chance to look at it we have it up in the show notes there's a link to the scene so please take a look at it and stay safe and we'll see you next week all right take care